USA Today posted a story asking the question, is it still okay to laugh at the movie Animal House because of its level of political correctness, given how enlightened we've all become in the Me Too era? The story was written by an intern. Yes, an intern from the University of Maryland. Her name is Hannah Yasharoff. Maybe Miss Yasharoff should put down the laptop and hang out over here with some of our other pledges, Mohammed, Jugdish, Sydney, and Clayton. Speaking of political correctness taking over the world, a pitcher from the Braves, Sean Newcomb, came within a strike of throwing a no-hitter yesterday. But the great game and his great day was ruined by the fact that he sent out some ill-advised tweets when he was a teenager and some Twitter troll outed him to make him look bad. My God! What would they have done if he had actually completed the no-hitter? Revealed everything in his browser history? Lastly, Antonio Brown asked Des Bryant to join the Steelers on social media. That would be about as good of a fit as Donald Trump asking Stormy Daniels to be his new press secretary. Although I bet the daily press briefings would be a lot more interesting with her wrapped around a pole instead of standing behind a podium. By the way, Stormy is getting divorced, so you're saying there's a chance. Yeah, better get that movie reference out before it gets deemed politically incorrect as well. Lots of animal cruelty in that movie. Think about the dogs getting away with all the mustard off their face when they were in the Muck Cuts van or what happened to poor Petey. I'm Tim Benson for Mark Madden today. You'll hear from Mark at 535. We talk Steelers at 415 with Matt Williamson. Big story from over the weekend was the injury to Ramon Foster. I'm bothered by that as well. Many in the media who talked about it after it happened were bothered too. And yeah, it sucks because Ramon is a good player and an even better guy. But at guard, I actually feel like there's a little bit of depth there. B.J. Finney has always looked capable in there for Foster. He's not as good as Foster, but the dip is not all that dramatic. And they seem to like Will Filer enough too, or Matt Filer enough too, to keep him hanging around and playing various positions. The bigger deal injury-wise to me is how long is Morgan Burnett going to be out? This hamstring injury is concerning because, you know, he's deemed to be a little bit brittle anyway. That's part of the reason why Green Bay let him go. It's part of the reason why he's here in Pittsburgh in the first place. And then there's so much for him to learn and to communicate from that position. Not only does he have to assimilate into the defense, he's got to call the defense a lot of cases for a lot of other people. And this is all new for him in the first place. I mean, this was the single biggest deal of all of training camp. How are the new safeties and inside linebackers going to be implemented? And how are those two positions going to be able to get hybrid, so to speak? And so far, Burnett and even Sean Davis are missing a little bit of time. That, to me, is somewhat worrisome, more so than Finney replacing Foster for a short time in the regular season, if at all. 412-333-9939 if you want to talk any Steeler football we're also going to talk baseball with longtime Pirates beat reporter John Parado. He's on in about half an hour. Still no trades yet by the Pirates. Most of the other contenders have done so. The more the Pirates general manager, Neil Huntington, spoke yesterday as he was on his radio show and as he was speaking with us in the assembled media corps at PNC Park, the more I kind of got a picture of what he's thinking, and what he is laying out for the trade deadline tomorrow. And it's this. I'm going to try to do something relatively small 
And if I do nothing, here's why I'm not going to do anything. Now, let me walk you through this a little bit. So they lose yesterday one nothing to the Mets. Before the game, Huntington is on the flagship station, and he's pointing out as the series began against New York that according to fan graphs, you know, they do that win projection stuff, like what is your percent chances of making the playoffs on this given day? Well, heading into the Mets series, the Pirates had a 17% chance of making the playoffs. When it came to September 4th of 2014, the Pirates only had a 22% chance of making the playoffs, and they did. Now, the Brewers went into tank, so that really helped a lot. But not only did they get a playoff berth, but they also hosted the wild card game, as you recall, against the San Francisco Giants. And Huntington pointed out that in 2014, they didn't add anybody. And they went on a 17-4 and stretch in September to catapult themselves into the top wildcard spot for the NL playoffs. Now, I know what you're thinking. That's the setup. And believe me, when I heard that, that's the first thing I thought, too. That's what Huntington will point to Tuesday night when the Pirates do nothing before the trade deadline. He'll use that number, he'll use that stat to justify the team's inactivity and failure to add salary in the hope of making a push for the playoffs now. That's what I initially thought, too. But Huntington's tone quickly changed to one of remorse that he didn't add at the trade line or trade deadline back in 2014. He and Greg Brown got a little bit deeper into the topic, and Huntington bemoaned the fact that the Pirates may have been too singularly focused on acquiring one specific player, and that was, as we look back in time now, Tampa Bay's David Price. Uh, even John Heyman of MLB.com at the time, I believe, was uh, had posted a story saying that the Pirates made a pitch for Price before he ended up going to the Detroit Tigers. And it was Huntington's belief that part of their failure to add at the deadline was that they were so focused on Price that maybe other options came and went while they were trying to get him. They didn't get Price. And gee, what if you had David Price pitching against Madison Bumgarner instead of, you know, Edison Volquez, who gave up five earned runs in five innings pitched? Yeah, maybe you win that game. Maybe it's nothing-nothing. Maybe the pressure is more on Bumgarner. Maybe he makes a mistake and you win one to nothing or something to that effect. Because at that time, remember, David Price was great. I think he had something like, uh, I got it right here, 189 to 23 strikeout ratio when he was acquired from Tampa when he went to Detroit. So here's what Huntington said after he got off his radio show. I heard that clip, and I asked him about it. This is what Huntington said about the regrets of 2014. The regret at 14 is that we didn't win the World Series. So every year that we haven't won the World Series, which is all 10 that we've been here, you wish you could have done something differently because that's the ultimate goal. Um, learning from it, um, we continue to, to venture down all pathways as we've done each of the, each deadline. Um, in, in that situation, we, we felt good about adding you know a bigger name. Um, we had you know multiple opportunities, and, and I wasn't able to push it across the finish line. All right, so he sounds remorseful about that. He sounds like he wants to give it another go. And in theory, and this is where I'll pose the question to you. If the Pirates do get Chris Archer, is that quote-unquote a big fish? Does Chris Archer, and stay away from the Rays puns, please. 
is Chris Archer actually a big fish? Uh, I mean, we, we can actually frame the whole conversation in that context. Is there a guy acquirable at the deadline that would pacify the fan base to the point that they feel like, yeah, they went out and got a guy that matters? Like, is Zach Wheeler, after the way you saw him pitch against Pittsburgh twice now, does he qualify as a big push? Is Archer, in and of himself, a big push? Because I got into a big debate on the KDK Sports Showdown last night as to whether or not Archer was even good enough. See, I think Archer is good enough because he makes your staff better. He's at least your fifth best pitcher. If the Pittsburgh Pirates go out and get Chris Archer, he's at least your fifth best pitcher. So he's making you better. No, he's not David Price. But you know what? He's also under contract for a couple more years at a rate for two of those years that's less than John Neese was. So this is an acquirable guy in terms of money for the Pirates. He's acquirable in terms of the fact that they would be giving up prospects and still yielding someone under cost control for three years. And he will make you better. So even if he's not what Price was then, even if he's not going to be coming on board to be an ace, but when he pitches like one, he would be. Is that a big enough player to pacify the fan base and make you feel like the Pirates have done something? And if it's not him, is there one? There may not be. You know, people keep saying that you don't want to make a trade for the sake of making a trade. And I understand that logic. You don't just do something to upset the apple cart because then maybe you screw up whatever momentum you have. But in this season, in this year, where the fans have spoken that they resent a failure to try to win, even going out and getting a middle reliever, an eighth inning guy, something to that effect, a fifth starter, that will look like they're trying to win and that will do good. That will do well by the fan base, that will do right by the fan base, and it'll make it appear that they're making a push for a wild card like they were unable to do in 2014. They're not, there is no t- David Price for them to get in terms of talent, in terms of price, in terms of what they're giving back. They don't, they don't have the prospects to give away anymore for David Price. What the Rays wanted then was like some sort of package of Glasnow, who was widely regarded as a minor league prospect, Bell or Marte or Polanco. They don't have that quality of player anymore in their system. they got a couple of middle infielders and some A-ball hitters that are eons away from the majors. So they won't be giving up as much as they would have to get Price back in 2014. So Archer isn't Price, but the price to go out to get this guy in Archer isn't as steep. And the competition now isn't as steep because everybody else has made a trade. The Yankees got Hap. Evaldi went to the Red Sox. Machado went to the Dodgers. Hand went to the Cleveland Indians. A lot of other people who are looking to make a deal have made their deal already, so maybe you're not competing with the people like you were competing with when the Tigers went out and got David Price. So if it is Archer, is that enough? And if it's not Archer, is there another guy out there, whether it's Wheeler or player player that I haven't mentioned yet, that is going to make you feel like, yeah, they did enough, I'm okay with the effort that they made to make the team better to try to get a wild card? Answer me that question because this is much a fan perception issue as it is anything else. We'll talk about that when we come back. 412-333-9939. 
Also, when we come back, a little bit of an example as to why the Pirates should be inclined to make a deal. And we'll talk about this Major League Baseball tweet fiasco that's going on with some young players out there. Discuss that too when we come back. Tim Benson from Mark Madden, 105.9 The X. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Are you speaking from the inside of an electric razor? Luke, I am your father. The X at 105.9. Simple question here for Pirates fans today. Tim Benson from Mark Madden. Do they have to do something, even if it's a trade, for the sake of making a trade? Usually, that's something that no GM ever wants to do, and I suppose at its core, no, you don't. But they should do something. They should. They need to add something, because if you look back at this season, and the Pirates don't make the playoffs after they've closed within shouting distance here. No, they're still not that great of a team, but they're within shouting distance, and as Huntington himself pointed out, and this is part of the reason they got to do something now. He set himself up for this. As Huntington pointed out, they're in a better spot right now than they were in 2014. They're in a better spot right now than they were in 2014 in September. They've positioned themselves better. And everybody else has done something, and those deals are working out. So I say, yes, the Pirates better do something even something minimal, and pretend it's a bigger deal than what it is to get people on board, and at least when the season ends, you can say, we made our deal. If it didn't work out, it's just because the other guys who made trades happened to be better, but you can't sit by and let every chance go by the wayside because a lot already have. 412-333-WXDX. Here's some examples. The trades are working. Deals that are being made are working out. Manny Machado, first big fish at the All-Star game. Goes from the Orioles to Los Angeles, hitting 308, OPS 875. Um, he's not hitting for a lot of power, just one homer so far, but the fact that he can play shortstop and third base has helped him already. Jay Happ, Yankees acquired him from Toronto. Had his first start yesterday. He was fantastic at the deadline when he came over from Pittsburgh. He goes to the Yankees. He was good yesterday. Got a win for New York. Meanwhile, Nathan Avalde. The other guy that was up in the AL East to be moved from Tampa. He goes to Boston. What happens? He pitches really well. Seven shutout innings against the Twins. Had five strikeouts and no walks. Zach Britton, he had one bad outing for New York. Had one good one. Brad Hand, after giving up a homer against the Texas Rangers in his first game for Cleveland, what did he do? He's been pretty much perfect since then. So the deals that have been made are helping everybody else. If this is a season where we look back and say, what did the Pirates do at the trade deadline? And the answer is nothing. They're going to look all the worse because other people who do get in the playoffs have made themselves better from acquiring from other teams. It's just going to look worse by comparison. So they need to get going and do something. You can also tweet at Tim Benz. PGH. The other topic I want to bring up here, we don't have a ton of time before we get to John Parada from the uh, Parada Report, longtime Pirates beat writer, to talk about this and other issues. Uh, it's what happened yesterday with, and I alluded to it in the open, it's what happened yesterday to the kid from the Atlanta Braves, Sean Newcomb. He had a no-hitter going until the ninth inning, two strikes on the last batter, Chris Taylor, and he strokes a base hit to break it up. And, you know, it's a pretty good day for him. And then he goes to the locker room, and next thing you know, the same thing happened to him that happened to that Josh Hader guy from Milwaukee during the All-Star game. 
Mark wrote about this in the Tribune Review. So haters pitching during the All-Star game, and someone reveals a bunch of tweets that were rap lyrics and had other politically correct, incorrect racial undertones, homophobic slurs, things of that nature. Same thing with Newcomb, and apparently the same thing, too, with Washington's Trey Turner. He also got aired out. So this is becoming a trend. I don't know if it's one person who's doing this. I don't know if it's become a thing now where people have found these individuals that they don't like because they were bullied by him in high school or they were refused for an autograph or they had a bad interaction or if it's just, I don't know, maybe it's some sort of algorithm where people are just finding these tweets from relatively innocuous Major League Baseball players that are racially insensitive, that are socially insensitive, and they're trying to shame them on the Internet. And my view on this is, okay, why are you doing this first of all? If you're saying, and no one would ever say this because no one who's doing this wants credit. They want anonymous credit. They want Twitter credit. They want retweets and likes and attention online, but they don't want to be responsible for it with their own name. Okay, you could be a relatively anonymous internet troll and consider that fame if you like, but you're going after an actual famous person and trying to tear them down for no tangible benefit. Like, what are you getting out of doing this, is my question. And what should be done about it moving forward? Like, do we want to punish these guys forever for doing stupid stuff when they were too young to know that it was stupid? I mean, what you're trying to say is that these people who are posting illicit rap lyrics and saying things that you can't say in public, but they're doing it online, they should be held to a higher standard because they're in the public eye, right? Like, that's the mentality. That's the thinking. But here's the deal. When they did what they did, they weren't in the public eye. They weren't to be held to a higher standard. There's no difference between Newcomb when he did what he did, or Trey Turner, or Hayter, any of these guys, They were just 16-year-old kids and 18-year-old kids or college kids that no one knew about, just like is the case right now on Twitter if you log on at this very instant. You're asking people to be held to a higher standard when they weren't to be held to that standard at that point. And now what do you want the the Braves to do? Suspend him for his next start. What do you want the Brewers to do? Demote Hater? What do you want Washington to do? Trade Trey Turner and have nobody pick him up? You know, this this race to shame on the Internet to make yourself feel better because you're knocking else someone else down is just is the depths of humanity, and we're wallowing in it. If something like this were to happen to a pirate, I wouldn't want him to apologize, even. I don't want to give anybody the satisfaction for doing it because that's all these people are looking for. There's no tangible benefit that's going to come from this aside from shame, aside from making them feel bad. Like what's the social paradigm that's going to move here because of what they're doing? I want to see no attention given to it. If Jameson Tyon or David Freeze or Austin Meadows has some illicit tweets that someone drums up and throws out online, I don't even want to see it acknowledged. I don't care because if they did it, when they were the age of these other guys, not only A, do they probably not know better, but everybody else in real life seems to have the ability to have a learning curve and look back and say, hey, when I was young, I did some stupid stuff. 
But now we're supposed to act like them in their 20s, they would have done exactly the same thing that they did before they turned 21. And you know what? They probably wouldn't have. And it's a complete double standard. 412-333-9939. We can talk about this throughout the course of the show. It's going to be a recurring theme. I know Mark is going to talk about it when he comes on later on in the 5 o'clock hour. John Parado coming up to talk baseball. And we're also going to hear from Matt Williamson from training camp as well. Tim Benson from Mark Madden on the X. Hi, Mark. Hi. I want to say I love your show. I just talked to David Lee Roth. He said, somebody get me a doctor. The X at 105.9. Tim Benson from Mark Madden coming up at the 4 o'clock hour. Matt Williamson joins us from Steelers training camp as we talk a little bit about the injuries the Steelers have sustained thus far and about Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown. Wrote about that today in the Pittsburgh Tribune Review. Also talking a lot of baseball today. Had a lot of people who called in about the... um, Major League Baseball tweets that are getting unearthed. A bunch of these young Major League players who have old tweets that are embarrassing and uh, of illicit content. Things like rap lyrics and racially insensitive comments that were made on Twitter before they became Major League stars. Um, If you weren't able to get through on that, we will get back to your calls. We're going to get John Parado on the line in just a moment from the Parado Report. He's our go-to guy covering Major League Baseball and the Pirates. Check out theparadoreport.com. This segment brought to you by CW Electrical Services. Make the switch at cwelectricalservices.com. Mark Madden comes up at 5.15, so make sure you're listening. Sorry, 5.35, so make sure you're listening for that. Uh, I think we're having trouble getting John on the line. So if you want, we can just uh, return to the conversation that we were having before. And uh, we will do that. So sorry about that. We hung up on a bunch of people who wanted to get in on the uh, Major League Baseball Twitter conversation. If you hung up before, call back and we'll open things back up again. And we'll also dive back into the Pirates trade deadline discussion too. Which is, I think, highly pertinent since, again, I'm looking up at MajorLeagueBaseball.com, or excuse me, MLB TV. And every time I turn around, they're doing some other story about another guy who's been dealt somewhere. Actually, we got John? All right, we'll go to John Parada right now and continue talking about that. John, thanks a lot for taking some time to join us. How are you? Oh, doing good, Tim. Thanks for having me. Uh, are the Pirates going to do something or not at the deadline? Anything of substance? I, that's going to be interesting to, to, to see. Uh, I don't think they're going to do anything big, uh, though they are trying to get Kevin Gosman from the Orioles' right-handed starter. But that's a move. It would be designed not only for this year, but for the next couple of years, because he wouldn't become a free agent after the 2020 season. Uh, I think they'll do something. I think for the first time, really, they feel a little outside pressure. They feel they need to show the fans that they care. Because, you know, there's a, a lot of fans who have really been turned off by what the Pirates have done the last couple of years after three playoff runs and then not really building upon it. And, you know, attendance is down uh, 30% uh, from last year, 50% from three years ago. And I think the Pirates feel they need to do something, and I don't think it's going to be a major trade or be a uh, blockbuster deal, but I do think they need to send a message to the fans that, uh, yes, we care, even if, if maybe they really don't. John, I think the same thing, especially insofar as uh, you're looking at all the other moves that are being done in baseball right now. Other contenders have gone out and gotten guys, and so far, pretty good thumbs up almost across the board in terms of the return. The Pirates are going to look all the worse if they do nothing. I know what Neil Huntington said yesterday regarding the 2014 season, which was, well, we didn't do anything there, and we ended up closing the gap and going on a real run. But even by his own admission, they were trying to do something, and it just didn't work out. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, they, they made some smaller moves in the other two years, 2013. They went out and got Marlon Bird and, and Justin Morneau. Those were in August uh, 2015. They got Jay Happ, which was a ho-hum move. He's just been taken out of the rotation in Seattle. He ended up being a Pirates' best pitcher for two months. So, uh, you know, they, they have made moves in the past. I think what has been frustrating to the fans, and, and I know even, you know, the other pe- people in that clubhouse, they never made the big move, though. Like the Indians, for example, traded for Andrew Miller a couple years ago, and he nearly pitched them to a win in a World Series. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen this time. And, and frankly, I don't blame the Pirates if they don't make that move this time. They're, they're still far behind the Cubs. They're seven out in the division. They're four out in the wild card. I mean, this isn't a short thing that they're going to the playoffs. Their chances are still a bit of a long shot to get there, and and, and this would be one time I wouldn't advocate selling the, selling the farm and, and the future to try to win this year when the chances aren't good. Uh, they should have done it back in 13, 14, and 15 more, but uh, but I do think they, they will do something. I also think they're willing to sell as well. I think if somebody offers something good for Josh Harrison, he may go. I think the same for Corey Dickerson, because uh, Harrison won't be back next year. The Pirates won't exercise the options uh he's got 10.5 next year and 11.5 on club options and uh, they're not going to spend that kind of money on him and dickerson's going to go up his salary up quite a bit he's making just under six million this year and the year he's having he's probably looking through arbitration again to go up to eight or nine million next year so i think the pirates may try to do both uh sell and uh and add at the same time now, Huntington has said he's not really warm to that because he felt like it hurt chemistry. You buying that? No, because they don't they don't look at uh, they don't look at that kind of stuff. And I know he said that, and but they look pretty much look at players unless they've had a sea change in philosophy in the very near term in the last week or two. They've always looked at players as assets, as pieces, as he likes to call them. They, they don't look at them as human beings. They look at them as numbers on a spreadsheet. And, uh, you know, maybe hopefully he's telling the truth. You know, and if he is, maybe that's a good thing. And maybe they learn from not doing more of that in 13, 14, and 15. I know in 16, there were, the players were livid when Mark Melanson was traded when they were only three games out in the wild card. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see, Tim, because, I mean, two years ago, they actually were closer to the wild card by a game than they are this year, and they sold uh, sold Melanson off, although they did make a good trade. He got uh, Felipe Vasquez, who's become an all-star closer. So it, it's going to be very, very interesting to see what happens. Like I said, their history suggests they won't do much, but yet uh, because of how much the fans have been turned off by this organization, Perhaps they do do something. Uh, it's going to be a fascinating next 24 hours to see what happens. They can go in a lot of different directions. They could do a lot. They could do little. And I think in the end, I think they'll make some moves, but I don't think it'll be anything that will really move the needle all that much. John Parado from the com is our guest. Check out the com and make sure you read John's work. Been covering the Pirates for a long time, so he knows of where he speaks when it comes to their pattern of behavior going to the deadline. And I tend to echo those sentiments, John, in the sense that uh, 
with the way that the fans responded to the movement out of star players, the fact that they've gotten themselves back into it, now it's almost like a lesson needs to be heated right away. You know, we stayed away. We'll come back if you put a winning product in the field, but show us you're interested in winning. And I know no general manager wants to make a move for the sake of making a move or pacifying the fans or anything like that, but you know, it's not like their bullpen is so sound that they couldn't try to tinker with it by getting a middle reliever. It's not like their starting rotation is so great that they couldn't upgrade by getting somebody else's third or fourth starter. Oh, yeah, I agree. And I think, uh, and I do think that they would at least have a chance to get to the wild court game. I don't think they're going to catch the Cubs or the Brewers. I just don't think they're good enough to make up that seven game deficit to the Cubs and five and a half to the Brewers. But I think they certainly could get the second wild card. And if that's the case, I think they should try to go for it uh, to an extent. Like I said, I wouldn't give up all my best prospects when, when the situation isn't that good. But, but I do think, like, like we said, there is some pressure. I think they need, I mean, this is a business decision too. Not, I mean, when you start losing fans the way they've lost fans and, and, and the, and the turnstiles aren't clicking very much this season. I think you need to do something to, to show them that you still care and you still want to win. So even if it's a symbolic-type trade more than a trade that really helps them, uh, I think you could see something like that happen. Who should be untouchable? Anybody? Uh, I would say Jamison Tyone still. I mean, I know he hasn't developed as quickly as people hope, but I, but I do see signs that he still has a chance to be at least the number two-type starter in the big leagues. Uh, you know, uh, but How about prospects? That, Any prospects that should be untouchable yeah. if they're trying I to think, acquire? I think Austin Meadows at this point, I, I think they wouldn't trade him. Uh, but as far as any other prospects, I, I think Mitch Keller, uh, if you were going to trade him, who's now at AAA in Indy, you'd have to get a bundle for him. Uh, but no, I mean, they don't really have that many great prospects. I mean, they have a lot of decent prospects. So, no, and I, I don't really see anyone on the big league roster that should be untouchable either, other than maybe Tyone and Meadows. And but yeah, when you know when when you're in their situation, I think they have to listen to anything and everything. And uh, you know, again, it's going to be very interesting these next 24 hours because there's a lot of things that could happen or nothing could happen. Yeah, I think very little will happen, but we'll try to make as big of a deal of it as humanly possible just Absolutely. to <laughs> just to make it sound like it may be more interesting than what it is. Now, you mentioned you don't think that they can catch the Cubs or even the Brewers, but you see them potentially being able to outduel the likes of Colorado and Arizona for that last spot? Yeah, I think it's possible. I, I mean, I think the Diamondbacks and Rockies on paper are probably a little bit better than the Pirates. Well, not probably they are. I don't need to qualify that. But I don't think they're vastly better than the Pirates, but the Pirates couldn't catch them if they got hot and, and things went their way the last couple of months. The one thing that'll hurt is they don't play either team again this year. They're done with the Diamondbacks and Rockies, so they can't pick up any ground head-to-head on them. Uh, but but I certainly think they're good enough to at least have a chance, and I think they owe it to themselves and the fans to at least within reason, give themselves a chance to get to the playoffs. Because I think one thing the Pirates failed to understand is just how precious playoff spots are. When they went three years in a row, I think they got the kind of mindset, well, we can. Uh, it's not that hard to get there. And it's hard to get there. They had 20 losing seasons in a row. And they've not been to the World Series since 1979. And I'll put that in perspective. I, was, I went to the last World Series game in Pittsburgh, Tim. I was 15 years old. I'm 54 years old. I'm an old man with gray hair now. They haven't been in a World Series game since. Well, when they were doing that, I was five and going to kindergarten. So I think I can relate there. 
as far as the gap goes, because I'm getting some gray as well. And actually, uh, tracking where everybody else is going is giving me more gray, because Hap had a good first start. Evalde had a good first start. Machado hasn't been knocking the ball out of the park, but he's been putting up some good numbers in Los Angeles. Other teams are benefiting by what they're getting, and you know, like Huntington talked about this yesterday, John. I don't know how much of, of what he said you heard, but you know, when he's talking about uh, flashing back to 2014, as for instance, and he's lamenting not, in his words, pushing it across the finish line with David Price, he's telling us now that he thinks the main reason that didn't happen was they were maybe too singularly focused on getting Price, and when they didn't get Price, he didn't use that by name, but that's the guy he was talking about. Other deals maybe took place and they didn't get other guys as a result and who knows what guy could have made a difference against the Giants in the wild card are they doing that now with Archer or is there somebody else like you said Gossman they might be trying to get is that a mistake they could fall into again here well I I hope not and and, you know it, it does seem like their focus is on Gossman and I think that he's a realistic target I don't know if they want to give up the kind of prospect package it would take to get Archer so I think one thing perhaps Neil Huntington and the Pirates have learned, the prospects are just that. They're prospects. And, you know, I know Frank Coonley last year made one of the many odd statements that he's been known to make during his tenure as club president when uh, the Cubs traded Jose Quintana and the Pirate fans said, hey, you know, we could have got Quintana from the White Sox over the winter. And Frank goes, well, if we would have traded for Quintana, we wouldn't be enjoying Tyler Glass now right now. And uh, I, I don't know if anyone's ever had a root canal without Novocaine, but that would seemingly be about the same enjoyment as watching Tyler, watching Tyler Glass now. Well, isn't that part of the reason that David Price didn't come here, too, that enjoyment? Yeah. Yeah, they uh, yeah they they wanted to enjoy the the prospects who have not uh, <laughs> taken to a, a, even a playoff series victory since 1979. Yeah, and I think that's sort of a forgotten stat too. We all talk about the World yeah. Series because they got the one round through with the wild card win, but they haven't. We haven't seen them win a series since then, for that matter. No, they beat the Orioles in '79, so maybe it's only fitting that they would trade with the Orioles. Maybe that would be good karma to to try to win a playoff series again. Last thing here, John, and it's going to come up with a couple different points of conversation we're going to have moving forward here in the program today about where the Pirates are and what they're thinking. It has to do with two other teams, both of them in the American League. Huntington has repeatedly said positively when talking about this club at the start of the season after the Cole and McCutcheon trades that he thinks... They could be the twins of last year. Well, they are kind of close to that now, and the twins didn't do much of anything at the trade deadline last year, did they? They got they actually what, traded people. Yeah, they actually got a guy and then traded him away again and got prospects for him. So if he's really modeling the look after the twins, that leads me to believe that little to nothing will be done. Yeah, and I think so, too. And, I mean, you look at their history. Like like I said, I go back to two years ago. They were actually a game closer on this day two years ago, and they traded their closer. So, yeah, I just think history, if you use history as a guide, uh, I don't see them doing anything unless they feel they desperately need to win the fans back and do something just to show people they care. And I don't know if that's the mindset or not. I get the feeling it is to an extent, but I don't think they'll go crazy. It's uh, it's very interesting. You know, they, they can talk a good game all they want, but actions always speak louder than words in the end. And, and then the point of the matter is they've really made no big trades to ever really move the needle since they got Bill Madlock in 1979 from the Giants. And again, that was, we go back 39 years when uh, things were great. And that's, uh, 
that's really the last time they made a big deadline move. And finally, John, does Neil have sort of an allergic reaction to what the Royals did to win the World Series? He always kind of, I asked him about this yesterday, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play his response later in the show, but it's almost like he looks at what the Royals did and he says, yeah, they won the World Series, but... Well, a lot of things have transpired with the Royals since winning the World Series that I don't think makes me feel like, well, I should look back at their decisions to try to go for it. You know, like they went for it. As Neil himself points out, they got it, so that's good. But there's almost this, uh, I don't know, allergic reaction that he has to the mentality of going all in like they did at the risk of having it not work out. I'd rather have them risk having it not work out than never try to go for it. Well, I've had that conversation with Neil, too, and, you know, it's a little bit different. Uh, I grew up here. I, I followed the Pirates my whole life, and I don't think Neil grasps how frustrated the fans really are that it's been 39 years since they went to the World Series. I don't think, you know, he, he doesn't really get out among the fans a whole lot. I, I don't really think he really knows what they're thinking. I don't know if he really even cares if, 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 if they know what he's thinking, you know, if he knows what they're thinking. But, uh, yeah, I agree with that. I'll relay just a, a quick story. I talked to Dave Moore, the Royals general manager, when I was in Arizona this year for spring training. And I asked him if he had any regrets about selling out the farm system to get to the World Series and winning it all. And he had his World Series ring on his right ring finger. And he showed it to me. And he said, to get this, I'd do it again in a heartbeat. I have no regrets. The organization has no regrets, and our fans have no regrets. And I, I would agree. I think that's what you play for. That's what sports is all about, competitive athletics to try to win it all. And, and I think that is what frustrates the fans so much is they feel the ownership and the management here aren't really trying to win at all. John, thanks for the time. Really appreciate it. Uh, we'll keep an eye on what happens today and tomorrow and uh, follow it up. Thanks for taking the time to join us. Oh, my pleasure, Tim. Thanks. For uh, by the way, how can people get the Parado Report? Uh, com. All the information's there, or just Parado Report. You only have to type the V if you don't want to type that many characters. That might tire me out. Thanks, John. <laughs> okay, we'll see you, Tim. That's the com or simply Parado Report. Update from John Heyman here as we were talking with John Parado. Uh, according to Heyman, Gaussman and Bundy are drawing interest, but not enough to tempt the Orioles at this point. They are under contract past this year, so there's no urgency to trade them. Uh, also, he tweets, there are definite signs that the Pirates are in on Archer, and he credits Joel Sherman for that, but they don't appear to be in on Gossman, despite some reports. So that's a new development. Keep tabs on that as the show goes along. Tim Benz in for Mark. When we come back, two Penguins notes to pass along to you of interest. It's coming up next here on your home for the Pens, 105.9 The X. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. It's a rare chance for you to have a brush with greatness. Make the most of it. Hey, Mark, big fan, big fan. Say, here's another great name from the past. The X at 105.9. You're just tuning in. John Heyman reporting that there are definite signs the Pirates are in on Chris Archer, the Tampa pitcher, but they're not apparently in on Gossman from Baltimore, despite some reports to the contrary. Uh, thanks to John Parada for joining us to talk about that and more as we were discussing some Pirate baseball. In just a few moments, going to get into the Steelers. I wrote about the differences between Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell. We'll dive into that with both feet and talk about some football with Matt Williamson, too, at 4.15. Got to get into this Animal House story in the 4 o'clock hour as well. Two Penguin notes I wanted to give you before we hit the top of the hour here. Uh, the first of which is... You're going to have Tom Wilson to kick around for a long time, as it turns out. If you love to hate opponents, oh, and I do, 
For as much as I hate Vontez Perfect, it's fun for me that he's around. For as much as I hated Jake Arrieta, I kind of miss seeing him on a regular basis in a Chicago Cubs uniform. Same thing with Pac-Man, which is why I'm so excited that he might be going to the Cleveland Browns. Tom Wilson just got himself a $31 million six-year deal from the Washington Capitals. And the initial reaction is, what are they doing? That's too much for him. Well, you noticed as well as I did that they're better with him than without him. Even if he runs around, takes shots, and gets himself suspended, he sure looked like he helped the Capitals more than he hurt them when he was out there. And he plays well with Kuznetsov and Alex Ovechkin. I'll credit Jonathan Bambouli from our staff at the Trib for tipping me off to this. and It turned into a really good column during the uh, series against the Capitals that I wrote about what Wilson does in the defensive zone that is so important for the Caps. He's great along the wall. He's got a big body. He wins battles there. He bumps guys off of the puck, and oftentimes that relates, or results rather, in the likes of John Carlson scooping up the puck and making a great breakout pass to Kuznetsov and then to Ovechkin or vice versa. He's a big reason why the Capitals are as good as they are at transitioning out of their defensive zone through the blue lines and into the offensive end. That's where Wilson might subtly help them more than the fighting and the goonish stuff and even the net front presence stuff that he brings that is talked about more readily. That's point number one of the pens. Point number two, fairly important anniversary today here in Pittsburgh. This is the anniversary of the draft of Sidney Crosby. Because remember, and the Penguins tweeted this out earlier, it was later in 2005 because the lockout. Everything had been pushed back, so the whole calendar was pushed back. And today is the anniversary of Sid getting drafted here. Frankly, I still think they should have gotten that female curler from Nova Scotia that got the other vote for the best athlete in the history of Nova Scotia, but the Sid kid worked out okay, I guess. Tim Benson for Mark Madden, your home for the Pens, back in 30 seconds to talk about Animal Health and A.B., and Lev Bell. And really, Animal House and the Steelers? What's the difference? It's 105.9 The X.